I mentioned this in um, sort of my opening prayer that uh, this past Thursday was a day in the church year that is uh, often referred to as Ascension Day, which falls 40 days after Easter Sunday. Um, After Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to his disciples over a period of 40 days. Um, And I just kind of finished a a sermon series where we were looking at some of those appearances that the risen Jesus had with his disciples um, in the Gospel of John um, over the past few Sundays. And, And so after those 40 days of appearances, then Jesus ascended to heaven. Now, Jesus' ascension, I think, is not often as emphasized or celebrated um, in the church as much as his incarnation when he was born or his death on the cross that we remember on Good Friday or his resurrection from the dead that we celebrate on Easter. But the, the truth is that Jesus' ascension is just as important and crucial to God's plan. And in many ways, his ascension serves as a kind of culmination of all that Jesus accomplished in his life, death, and resurrection. And so today what we're going to be looking at is Jesus' ascension. We're going to be looking specifically at the account of Jesus' ascension in the book of Acts. And my sermon title this morning is The Power of the Ascension. We're going to look at the meaning of Jesus' ascension um, and how it is a powerful event that, uh, that has huge implications for our lives Today, So our text this morning is Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, which is on page 770 in the Pew Bibles, if you'd like to follow along. So Acts chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. This is uh, Luke, who's writing uh, this. He says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said. Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the ascension as we're going to be studying and and, and looking into today. We pray that you would would teach us, Lord uh, Jesus, who, who now 
right here, are, you are present with us because you have ascended to heaven. And so we pray that you would teach us through your word, that you would open our ears and open our eyes and, and open our hearts, Lord, to receive from your living word uh, what you're wanting to teach us about your ascension and what it means uh, for our everyday lives today. And so speak now, we pray, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Our text today is from, um, is the very first verses in the book of Acts. Um, this book is sometimes called the Acts of the Apostles uh, because Acts tells the story of the apostles after Jesus had died and risen um, and, and ascended to heaven and how the apostles began to spread the news of Jesus through their words and acts, through their actions and as they, as they spread the word. Um, acts was written, as I mentioned uh, before reading, that it was written by Luke. Um, who also wrote the Gospel of Luke. Um, and actually, in the very first v- uh, few verses of our text, uh, Luke addresses the person that he's writing this to. He, he mentions him, Theophilus, um, who he also wrote his Gospel to. He mentions that at the beginning of Luke, that he's also writing to Theophilus. Um, and he actually references here in, in this first verse, he references his former book, uh, so these are they, they kind of Luke and Acts really go together in many ways. That Luke is sort of the, the first volume about Jesus, and then Acts is sort of the Acts of the Apostles. And Luke is writing both of these. And what Luke does in those first couple of verses of, of our text is he summarizes basically what we've been looking at over the past few weeks. That after Jesus died and rose again, he appeared to the disciples over a period of 40 days proving that he was alive, that he was actually, had been risen from the dead. And then he, and it says that he also taught them about God's kingdom. Uh, and so then Luke then tells us, um, after he kind of gives us this summary, he then tells us about this final encounter that Jesus had with his disciples just before he ascended into heaven. And in this final encounter, the disciples ask a question in verse 6 which reveals that they still have some misconceptions about what's going to happen next. So verse 6 reads, So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? It seems that the disciples thought that the next thing that was going to happen would be for Jesus to establish an earthly political kingdom in Israel where Jesus would rule as king. That, that this was actually a, a very common expectation in Israel at the time, that when the Messiah would come, that he would set up his rule as king in Israel. And even though Jesus had kind of tried to explain to the disciples over his ministry that he was bringing a different sort of kingdom, that they still didn't quite get it. And so even here at the end, verse 6, they're sort of, all right, now is the time, Jesus. You're going to set up your rule here in, in, in Israel. And Jesus' initial response in verse 7, where he says, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. So Jesus doesn't say that the disciples are completely wrong in their question, but that they are not to concern themselves with the timing of how Israel may play a role in God's ultimate purposes. Right? He says, that, don't worry about that, the, the element of, of, of sort of Israel and, and, and God's kingdom. He says, that's up to the Father, right? So don't worry about all the timing of that. God's going to take care of that. But what Jesus is going to do next is he's going to make it very clear to his disciples that he is not planning to set up an earthly political kingdom in Israel as his next act. In fact, what he was about to do was ascend to the Father, removing his physical presence from Israel, 
And, and through this act of ascending, Jesus was actually establishing something much greater than setting up an earthly kingdom in Israel. So this morning, what I want to look at is, is, is look at three things that result from Jesus' ascension, um, that show the power of the ascension. In your bulletins, there's a, a little note there if you'd like to follow along that kind of ha- lays out those, those three different points as well, if you'd like to follow along. So the first thing that we see in the ascension, the thing that, that results from the ascension is that Jesus is exalted as king over all the earth. Jesus was not interested in establishing a kingdom in just one nation on the earth, even if that nation was Israel, God's chosen people whom he had promised to send the Messiah to. But what God had had done is he had chosen his people, Israel, so that God's blessing and rule would spread beyond Israel throughout the entire earth to all nations. And Jesus' ascension was showing that that is exactly what Jesus was doing. In fact, right after Jesus tells his disciples that it's not for them to know the, the times or dates that the Father has set about the future, he goes on to say in verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now we're going to come back to this verse a little bit later in, in my third point. But the thing that I want to highlight um, here is that Jesus sends his disciples as his witnesses, not just to Israel, but he says to the ends of the earth. Now, there's a little bit of context to maybe understand some of what Jesus is doing here. In the first century, when someone was enthroned as king, they would often send out heralds to announce the news throughout the area where that king ruled. So the heralds would, would go out and announce we have a new king, as they went out into all, all, all the subjects in that area where the king was now ruling. And so the fact that Jesus tells the disciples that they are to announce his rule to the ends of the earth means that he is claiming to be king over all the earth. He says, go out and announce the news that I'm ruling. I am king over all the earth. And when Jesus ascended into the air... He was showing the disciples that he was not ascending to a physical throne in a particular location on earth, but he was ascending to a heavenly throne where he would rule as king over all the earth. In fact, over all the universe. This is exactly what what Paul was saying in our scripture reading that Jim read earlier from Ephesians 1. Uh, In Ephesians 1 verses 20 and 22 It says this about God. It says that he, God, raised him, Jesus, from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything. That's pretty all-encompassing, right? (laughs) That God has placed all things under Jesus' feet and has appointed him to be head over everything. That Jesus is king over all the earth. Recently, the world witnessed the coronation of King Charles III. Maybe some of you watched it uh, as the new king of the United Kingdom. Now, Charles actually became king 
when his mother, Queen Elizabeth, died back in September. That's when he actually officially became king, right? When, when she died. But the coronation ceremony was a, a public event where Charles was then recognized as king. He was anointed with oil. He was crowned at Westminster Abbey that was sort of publicly and officially recognizing him as king. Jesus didn't become king over all the earth when he ascended to heaven. He was already king over all the earth, but his ascension was a public event that proclaimed his kingship as he literally ascended to his heavenly throne from where he now reigns as king over all the earth. Verse 9 of our text says, after he said this, after he told them, you know, go out and spread the news to the ends of the earth. It says, then he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. Now the mention of, of this cloud that, that hid him from their sight is significant. There, there's, 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 there's power and symbolism throughout the scriptures about clouds. In particular, we see this um, back in the Old Testament where, where God sort of represented his presence with the people of Israel through a pillar of cloud that went before them throughout their wanderings in the wilderness. He also used a cloud to show his presence and glory when the tabernacle was finished. In Exodus chapter 40, verse 34, we read, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And the same thing happened when Solomon built the temple in Jerusalem. There in 1 Kings 8 verse 10, it says, When the priests withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord. For the glory of the Lord filled his temple. So as Jesus ascends into the air... The last glimpse that the disciples have of him is as he is enveloped into a cloud. The sign that God often used to show his glory, to show his presence. And so Jesus is, is, is ascending into the very presence of God, to his heavenly throne, to his father, as he tells the disciples earlier, from where he now rules over all the earth. Now, before we move on to the next aspect of Jesus' ascension, I want to briefly just point out what this first aspect means for our lives today. What's the significance of the fact that Jesus is exalted as king over all the earth? Well, first, what it means is that even when things in this world seem like they are out of control, that they are in chaos, maybe your, world, your own life feels like it's out of control and there's chaos— the reality is that Ascension proclaims that Jesus is on the throne, that he is king. He is ruling over all things. And as Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 says, again, he says, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Jesus is over all things for the church, for those who believe in him, who those who are members of his body. Earlier in, in my opening prayer this morning, I mentioned that this past week, we lost an incredible pastor, leader, and thinker, Pastor Tim Keller, um, who is a pastor in New York City, Redeemer Presbyterian Church. Um, and, and Keller is someone who has shaped me pretty significantly in my own preaching and teaching and pastoral ministry, especially during my 10 years that I served in ministry in New York City before coming here. And in one of his books, uh, Tim Keller writes about Jesus' ascension. 
And he says this, referring to this verse in Ephesians 1. He says, He controls all things for the church. And therefore, you can face the world with peace in your heart. He's at the right hand of God as the executive director of history, directing everything for the benefit of the church. If you belong to him, then everything that happens ultimately happens for you. Jesus is on the throne. He is on the throne for you and for your good. But the other implication of this first point is that if Jesus is king over all the earth, then what that means is that you and I are to submit to his rule in our lives. We are his subjects. He is the king, not us. And, both, and, and the, the truth is, though, that our sinful nature wants to rule ourselves. And we do not want to submit to Jesus' rule always. And so we need to confess our sin to King Jesus when we recognize that we are trying to rule ourselves and not submit to him as king. But the good news is that when we do that, when we acknowledge that, the good news is that King Jesus laid down his life for sinners and rebels like us. And he has paid for our sin in full. And so he graciously pardons us for our rebellion when we are rebellious subjects under, in his kingdom. He doesn't kick us out of his kingdom, but he forgives us. And he tells us that also we can trust him to rule, for him to rule in our lives because he is the only king who has laid down his life for us, showing just how much he loves us. So we can willingly and gladly submit to his rule as king, not just over all the earth, but king in our lives as well. The second aspect of the ascension that I want to highlight is that the ascension also reveals that Jesus is able to be present with us anywhere. When Jesus walked on this earth 2,000 years ago during his earthly ministry, he was limited by time and space. He, he willingly embraced those limits when he took on flesh as one of us. That he was, that when he walked somewhere, that's where he was, right? As God incarnate, Jesus in the flesh. When Jesus rose from the dead, his resurrected body was, was not limited in the same way. He was able to appear suddenly and, and then disappear just as suddenly. He, he, his body was able to enter a locked room. So there was something different about his body and his presence. And yet it also seems that still when Jesus was appearing here on earth in his resurrected body, he still could only be in one place at a time because he was here in our space and time, right? Now, when Jesus ascended into heaven, he didn't move to some other location in our universe, his body didn't fly past Mars and Jupiter to some faraway place called heaven in a galaxy far, far away. Right? That's not what happened when Jesus ascended. The, the way the Bible talks about heaven is it is a completely different reality or dimension. It is outside the time and space of our universe. And, and so it is God's realm. And so when Jesus ascended to heaven, his resurrected body left our space and time and entered into the reality of heaven, 
which is not bound by our space and time limitations. Heaven existed before God created our universe, even. God dwelt there in his realm. And so what that means for us today is that Jesus is now able to be present with us anywhere. He is not limited by space. He is not limited by time. And that's exactly what he says to his disciples in Matthew 28, verse 20, where he says, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Because Jesus ascended, he is able to be with me always. And he's able to be with you always. He can be with you in your home, at work, at school, when you're stuck in traffic, when you're shopping, when you're lying down at bed at night, right? He is able to be present with you in any and all situations. Sometimes we maybe wish, oh, I wish he wasn't present with me right now uh, in the way that I'm reacting in this situation, right? But he is able to be there, present with us. And Jesus also tells us in Matthew 18, verse 20, for where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. Jesus actually spoke this promise in the context of talking about church discipline, <laughs> that, that I'm there with you in the midst of a situation like that. But I believe that it's, it's also a promise that we can hold on to that, that is true uh, more broadly as well. Because what it means is that, that when we gather here, at Emmanuel Church every Sunday morning here in Pasadena, guess what? Jesus is here with us. He is present with us. But it also means that he's also present in, with believers and missionaries who gather together in Chad or in Taiwan. That he is with the underground Christians who are meeting in China or in Iraq. He's also with a couple of Christians who get together over coffee or to pray with one another. He is present with us. Again, Tim Keller writes uh, regarding this aspect of the ascension. He says, at the ascension, Jesus leaves the space-time continuum and passes into the presence of the Father. He is still human, still our second Adam, and still our advocate. Yet now he has been so glorified that everything he does has a cosmic scope. Any time-space limitation passes away. In the very first verse of our text, G, uh, Luke writes this. He says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. That little word began is crucial because Jesus didn't stop doing and teaching people, doing things and teaching people when he ascended into heaven, right? The, the, the first volume of, of Luke's gospel is what Jesus began to do and to teach. But guess what? In the book of Acts, he still was doing things. He still was teaching. And, and the truth is that he is still doing that today as well. Uh, in fact, the book of Acts is all about what Jesus continued to do and to teach. Although he did it through the Holy Spirit. And he did it through his new body on earth, the church as well. And Jesus continues to do the same thing today. He is still at work in our world. He still teaches us today through his word. He is still present with us. And, and that's why we went through a, a study earlier this year on Wednesday nights where we looked through a book called Joining Jesus on His Mission. Because what that book was all about is saying that Jesus, 
guess what? He is out loose. He's, he's, he's on the loose in our world. He's out there. He is present. He is working. He has a mission. And he is working in people's lives. He is drawing people to himself. He is speaking to us through his word. And what he wants us to do is to join him in his mission of reaching people with the gospel. And that leads to the third and final aspect of the ascension, which is that Jesus sends us as his witnesses through the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, Jesus, he could have decided to just stay on earth and do what he did throughout his ministry. You know, pour into his 12 disciples and preach to the crowds. You know, maybe he could have grown a really big mega church in Jerusalem if he really wanted to. But that wasn't Jesus' plan. That wasn't his intention. When the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus' response to them again is, well, guys, guess what? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. Jesus is saying here that his disciples are going to take an active role in reaching people with the good news of what Jesus has done for them. It's Jesus' mission, but he calls the disciples to join him on that mission to be his witnesses. And he specifically says that 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 is your role, right? It is your role is to be witnesses. They had witnessed Jesus' miracles. They had witnessed his teaching. They had witnessed his death and resurrection. And now they were being called to serve as eyewitnesses of those things they had seen and heard. And to do this, Jesus says, start, start right here where you are in Jerusalem, and then go out from here to Judea. But then he says, don't, don't stay there. Don't just stay here in Jerusalem and Judea. Go out to Samaria, to those people that that I know you, the Jews don't really like those Samaritans, but guess what? I'm calling you to go there too, to go to those people that are different from you and that maybe it's a little bit challenging to want to go into there, but don't stop there. Go all the way to the ends of the earth. So another result of Jesus' ascension to heaven is that he sends his disciples and us to carry his message to the ends of the earth. But as he sends them, he reminds them that he's not sending them alone. First of all, again, he is with them, right? I'm with you to the very end of the age. I'm, you're not going alone, guys. But he also says that they will receive power. They'll receive power to do this when the Holy Spirit comes on them. So he's basically telling them, guys, you do not have the power to do this yourselves. You are not going to be effective witnesses through your brilliance, your ingenuity, your cleverness, No, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. The power must be given to you. It comes from God, not from yourselves. And what Jesus is referring to here is what he's going to do, what's going to happen on the day of Pentecost, which is recorded in the very next chapter in Acts chapter 2. And guess what? Next Sunday is Pentecost Sunday when we remember and celebrate the outpouring of the Holy Spirit onto those early believers. Jesus actually refers to this this moment earlier in the passage in verses 4 and 5, when he says, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised. What's that gift? It's the Holy Spirit. And he says, which you've heard me speak about. Jesus had already told him about the Holy Spirit. And he says, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. 
And guess what? We're going to look more specifically at what happened on that day of Pentecost next Sunday. So come back and hear about where that power really comes from, uh, what was happening on Pentecost. But as we close this morning, I want to just look at the, the, the last two verses of our text, which say this. It says, They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. The text doesn't tell us exactly what, what the disciples were thinking about as, as they were just standing there dumbfounded, looking up at the sky. Probably part of it was just the fact that Jesus had just ascended into the air, right? And then all of a sudden behind the cloud, he's gone. But you can also imagine that part of what they must have been feeling was with some sadness that, that Jesus, their teacher and savior, had, had seemingly left them, right? Where had Jesus gone? Why, why had, he, had he left them? But then these two angels kind of shake the disciples out of their gaze, and they basically tell them, guess what, guys? Jesus isn't gone. He's now in heaven, which means that he is with you, right? He is able to be with you present. But he also says, guess what, guys? He's also coming back again. He's coming back in the same way that you've seen him go. And, and so what he's, he's telling them is that, listen, Jesus is coming back. And so until that time, get busy doing the thing that he just told you to do, which is to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And as he calls us to do that too, because we're still waiting, right? We're just like those disciples. We're waiting, staring up at the... Are you going to come back today, Jesus? When are you going to come back? We don't know when he's going to come back. Again, it's in the Father. We don't know the times. Or the, uh, we're not supposed to worry about the times, right? That's in the Father's hands. But we know he's coming back. But until then, we are called to be his witnesses. And we can know that as we go out as his witnesses into the world, that we are going out into a world where Jesus is king over all the earth. He is on the throne and he is on that throne for us, for you, for me, for our good, and for his glory. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the ascension. We thank you for the power of the ascension that reveals that you are our king over all the world, over all the universe, that you reign on high, and that we can trust you, God. We can trust that no matter what's happening in our world that feels like things are out of control, we know that you are ultimately in control, that you are the king on the throne. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to, to recognize you as king in our lives, to confess the moments, Lord, where we try to take control and try to be our own little king in our own lives. We, for, we ask for your forgiveness for that, Lord, and help us to see that, that submitting to your rule, to your kingship is, is always for our good. Lord, that you want to reign in our lives for our good. And we thank you that you're present, Lord. You're present with here. Uh, us right now today. You're present with the people who are watching this on their live stream, in their homes. Lord, that you are able to be present with us and that, Jesus, you're sending us as your witnesses, your representatives into the world with this amazing news, this good news that, that you are the king of the world, that you are a king who laid down your life for us. You laid down your life for the people around us, Lord, that they too would know and be able to trust in you as their savior. So use us, Lord, as, as your witnesses to go into the world with this good news, trusting that you are going with us and that you will empower us for this task as well. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.